Okay, if you would take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. The title of the message this morning is Established in the Person of Faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you for the assurance and the confidence that we can have in the Word of God uh, that liveth and abideth forever, uh, that changes not, uh, we, we thank you for those promises. And we pray that you'd help us as we look into the Word of God today, that you'd encourage our hearts and strengthen our walk with you, our faith and confidence in a more sure word of prophecy that we would do well to take heed unto in a world that's filled with confusion and chaos. And Lord, just speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 11 is often referred to as the faith chapter of the Bible. But it could be just as accurately called the works chapter of the Bible. For it demonstrates for us very vividly that real biblical faith produces a changed life that is one of good works Sometimes impossible works. You know, many people talk about faith as something of which in times of trial is that the happenings in life will somehow work out in their favor without a real foundation or basis upon which that faith rests. They just have faith. Faith in what? Faith in what? You know, the Bible talks about different kinds of faith. James 2 talks about a dead faith. James 2.17 says, Even so faith that hath not works is dead, being alone. So a biblical faith, then, is one that produces good works, which is really the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a product of our works or our hap- the things that happen to us. There's also devilish faith, James 2.19, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. <laughs> The devils also believe and tremble. In other words, the devils know that there is a God, that Jesus Christ is God. They know that. They are, this, this without doubt. They know it. They are convinced of it. And they tremble because they know because of that fact that their judgment is certain. But it's something, something of knowledge. It's not something that can save a person, nor will it save the devils. But the faith of the Bible is a living, dynamic faith, one that results in a changed will, a changed life, a life that has died to self and walks in newness of life with the living Lord. And as we come to this chapter this morning, there's, there's, you know, as I was considering this this morning or this past week, uh, you know, this is a very important chapter in the Bible. Uh, 
And it demonstrates really for us what a true Christian life is. And, of course, it talks about many different characters in the Bible and how they lived and how they trusted and had confidence in the Lord. So this morning I'm going to look at, I'm going to try to establish what is faith and a foundation for biblical faith. And then thirdly, the supporting evidence of biblical faith. And it's established in a person. We're going to see that when we get, hopefully when we get to the end. So what is faith? Well, in verse 1, the Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, according to dictionary.com, faith is confidence in a person or thing. It's a belief not based on proof. Not based on proof. Um. You know, even, even evolution is a faith-based religion. It's really a religion. Now, the word faith here, as defined in the Scriptures, is a conviction or belief respecting a man's relationship to God and divine things. And it's included with the idea of trust. That's what faith is, really a trust or confidence in. And holy fervor born of faith and conjoined with it. So you might say it this way, faith in a believer is to be convinced and have confidence in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, which instills in one a divine life and a holy desire to live and please God. It instills in one, faith instills in one, this fervor, this, this desire, this, this burning to please God. To trust in Him. To have confidence in Him. Somebody said, faith, quote, faith is to believe what we do not see. And reward of this faith is to see what we believe, unquote. Somebody else said, quote, faith is the daring of the soul to go farther than it can see, unquote. You know, the world says, show me and I will believe you. Christ says, believe me and I will show you. You know, we may not always be able to trace God or where he is, but we can always have confidence and trust in him. You know, Job said in Job 30, 28, or 23, uh, verses 8 through 10, behold, I go forward, he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hides himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You know, Jesus would say to Martha, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. See, faith in that which we cannot see reveals to us what we cannot see. Somebody said, quote, when faith goes to market, he always takes his bucket, unquote. You know, faith will not make the sun rise sooner, but it will make the night seem shorter. And only he who can see the invisible has faith. The one that has faith, the one who has trust in God, can do the impossible. In Hebrews chapter 11 here in verse 27, 28, it says, 
verse 27, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He saw him who was invisible that he could not see. He saw the one he could not see. He saw him work because he believed him, his faith. So that's what faith is. It's believing without seeing. Without seeing. But there is a foundation or a basis for faith. It's not, a, it's not just a blind leap in the dark. Now there is a substance to it. There is evidence. Notice, notice, if you will, a foundation or basis for biblical faith. Again, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The substance of things hoped for. The word substance means, is defined as confidence, firm trust, assurance, a substructure, a foundation. So it's defined as a substructure or a foundation. And here's the interesting thing. This, this Greek word is also used in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, and it's translated there, person. Hebrews 1.3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Same word as the word substance here in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Person. And of course that word, that, that person there speaking of in Hebrews 1.3 is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the substance. He is the foundation of our faith. So our faith is not just a blind leap in the dark. It has a foundation. There is substance there. There's something to grab a hold of. Even though we can't see it with our eyes. I hope you can follow me here, but even in John chapter 1, verse 1, verse 14... You know, the Bible says in the beginning was the word, and the word word there is spelled capital W-O-R-D. And again, verse 14, the word was made flesh. Same thing, capital W-O-R-D. And so the word there, is, it's translated logos. It's a Greek word, logos. And it denotes the essential word, capital O-R-D, of God. So the person of God. And it is the personal hypostatic Wisdom and power in union with God. That word hypostatic means pertaining to or constituting a distinct personal being or substance. Uh, It refers to him as the minister in creation, the government of the universe, the cause of all the world's life, both physical and ethical. And, and so, and, and, and which provides procurement of man's salvation in the person of Christ. That's what the word word refers to, a person, a substance, a substance. Again, dictionary.com defines substance of that of, of which a thing consists, the physical matter or material. So the physical matter or substance as described here in the Bible is the word Capital W-O-R-D. 
Or we would say, another way of saying it, the person of Jesus Christ. That's what our substance is. That's the substance of our faith. You know, Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word there, the, the word word there, is, refers to divine instruction by preachers of the gospel. It is the voice of God by divine appointment. It's not really particularly speaking of Christ, the person of Christ, but the divine instruction by the preachers of the gospel. And so it is the voice of God, if you will, by divine appointment. And no wonder Paul wrote to the, first Thessalon- the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.20 and said, despise not prophesy. In other words, don't, don't think it lightly or a common thing. Prophesying or preaching of the word of God is by divine appointment. You know, some people said, well, I just wish Jesus would teach me. Guess what? He is. Through pastors and teachers whom he hath appointed. Whom he hath appointed. Of course, the qualifier is there, they preach the word of God as it is given. So then the substance of our faith, the foundation, is Jesus Christ. Who has revealed to us the person of God. John 1.18 says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared them, or He hath revealed them to us. And so... You know, the, the substance of that faith is then is in that person of Christ, and, and we need to, to have faith is to have conviction or can be convinced is to have a fixed or firm belief. And we see an example of this in John 6 and verse 69 when, when Peter, you know, Jesus said to the disciples, you know, will you go away also? Because many had departed from him. And Peter answered for the group and said, and, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's conviction. They were convinced. In other words, they had faith in her person. And we can have that same kind of faith in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the substance of our faith. His promise, he has promised in his word. And his word, of course, is personal is a personal divine communication to us. And of course, he's given us many, pro- many promises in his word. John 14 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And, and, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know, again, he gives many precious promises in his word, that he is coming in, and if he's coming in, that means he's still alive. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe, in other words, if we have faith that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring him. Let me just stop and say something about believing that Jesus died and rose again. Do you realize there's more evidence to the fact that Jesus rose bodily from the dead than, than, than that Socrates or Plato or many of these ancient philosophers actually lived? 
much more evidence. In fact, Dr. Luke in Acts chapter 1 tells us that he showed himself by many infallible proofs. The word infallible means not capable of error, cannot be contradicted. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that he was seen of over 500 brethren at one time after his resurrection. Although historians around that time attest to the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead. See, we have the sure. So we have a substance. We have something that we can, we can, we can, that we can logically, by logical conclusion, deduce that this is true. It isn't a blind leap in the dark like evolution is. It's a substance. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And even in the book of Hebrews, you know, this is taught throughout the scriptures, throughout the word of God, God's communication to us, his person, personal communication to us, Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this a judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and to them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He's going to appear the second time without sin. He's not coming to offer himself for sin. He's coming to deliver us. That's what it means. Salvation means deliverance. He's going to deliver us then from this present evil world. Revelation 22.12, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. You see, these promises of divine communication of God himself are the substance or basis of our faith. Again, a Bible faith has substance, has a basis. And that basis is, of course, upon the person of God himself. And so... Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the substance of those things that we expect. We are expecting some things. By faith, we expect the Lord to come again. Now, I want you to notice a third thing. The supporting evidence for biblical faith. Let's read verses 1 through 3 again. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So there is supporting evidence for biblical faith. And the word evidence here is defined as a proof that by which a thing is proved or tested, that by which invisible things are proved, and we are convinced of their reality. So again, we're talking about invisible things that can be, that are proved. 
you know, things that exist. You know, Romans 1.20 tells us that the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. So the visible things we understand by the things that we do see. The, visible, the, the invisible things are proven by visible things that we can see. That's really what he's saying there. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are out of excuse. So the evidence of faith is what you believe or are convinced of God becomes a reality in their life. You know, no one was there to observe creation, but we believe it by the evidence that we now observe. And that's really what science is. It's based on observable evidence. You know, God said to Job in Job 38, verses 3 through 7, Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding, who hath laid the measure thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it, whereupon are the foundations thereof fashioned, or who laid the cornerstone thereof, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So Job, where were you? Did you see it? Were you there? Yeah, God could ask the same thing about you. Were you there? And the answer is, no. I wasn't there. So how do I know? How do I have evidence? How do I prove by visible things that there is a God? Well, I would encourage you to, to, to watch these if you have some time. But in a Prager University video, it's titled, Our, Science, Our Religion and Science in Conflict. Stephen Meyer, Stephen C. Meyer, who has a Ph.D., he's a former geophysicist and a college professor who now directs Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture in Seattle. He speaks about why the scientific Revolution started in Europe in the 16th and 17th centuries. Now, if you're a historian, what was happening in the 16th and 17th centuries in Europe? Yeah, okay. He asks, and rightly so, why not Egypt? After all, the Egyptians built the pyramids. Why not the Chinese? After all, the Chinese invented the compass block printing, and gunpowder. Why not the Romans? They built these extensive road systems. And, well, why not the Greeks? They had their philosophers. So why then 16th and 17th century Europe? And the conclusion that many scientists come to is because only the Judeo-Christian West had the intellectual presuppositions to enable the rise of science. In other words, they had things that they assumed because of what they observed. Because they had a belief in God, they had these assumptions that they had that resulted in the scientific revolution. And he says this, quote, the Judeo-Christian religious tradition led directly to modern science, unquote. So only in Judeo-Christian culture do we universally assume God created the heavens and the earth. And so there's three things that these scientists assumed. 
these three presuppositions. Number one, intelligent design. You know, look at the world. Does anything design itself? Again, Romans 1 tells us what? The invisible things of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So, so a, a presupposition would be, okay, there has to be a designer that designed all this, because nothing designs itself. All design has a designer. You know, every dress design that you ladies ever buy has a designer. Every car or truck had a designer, a building, a structure. They all have designers. Nothing designs itself. Nothing. So the presupposition these people came to, these scientists came to, was somebody designed what we see. Somebody designed. Secondly, there's an underlying order in nature. It's an underlying order in nature. You know, and we can see this even in the animal world where there's what we farmers call the pecking order. In other words, there's going to be one dominant animal that's going to be the authority for all of them. You know, whether it's chickens, cows, elephants, lions, dogs, cats, there's going to be an authority. There's going to be order. And we see, again, we see this in nature. And, and let me give you a little story. Uh, this was on World Net Daily. It was titled, Bull Elephants, Everyday Dads to the Rescue, by Patrick, Patri- Patrice Lewis. It was published in October 29, 2021. And the article goes on like this, quote, In Palainsburg National Park, South Africa, biologists kept finding dead and mutilated carcasses of rhinos, dozens of them. Worse, the pattern of wounds to the rhinos indicated the killings could only be have happened by a larger animal. As it turned out, gangs of aggressive adolescent male elephants were rampaging through the park, killing rhinos, among other species. Upon its creation, this particular park had, seated, had been seeded with elephants from other locations. Because huge bull elephants are extremely difficult to transport, biologists focused on introducing young males, females, and babies. The trouble was, when those young males grew into teenagers, quote-unquote, they had no bull elephants to teach them adult behavior. Specifically, how to handle a condition of enhanced testosterone specific to elephants called mus. As a result, gangs of -of out-of-control adolescents, crazy with testosterone, rampaged about, killing other animals and fighting aggressively among themselves, sometimes to the death. The normal safeguard is when an elephant in must encounters a bigger bull elephant, he immediately drops out of must as he knows his testosterone cannot compete. So six large bulls were introduced from Kruger National Park who towered over the adolescents and literally within hours the teen thugs dropped out of must. Notes the article. No more rhinos have been killed since by rampaging youngsters. The bull elephants didn't beat the adolescents into submission. On the contrary, all they had to do was be there. Their very presence was enough to steady the younger males, create a balance within the herd dynamic, and restore peace among the elephant population. 
The name of the BBC Earth article I've been quoting, the title of it was, quote, Teenage Elephants Need a Father Figure, unquote. Now, you understand where this is going? Last month, in a high school in Shreveport, Louisiana, there was deep trouble. A brutal week of fighting in the school, so 23 students arrested in three days. A local sheriff said he feared the students involved would either end up in jail or dead if the violence continued. Quote, we have a gang problem there. We have several gangs that are trying to to one-up each other and trying to act like grown men when they are just kids, unquote. These teens were suffering from a condition of enhanced and testosterone-specific humans called adolescence. Desperate parents knew they had knew something had to change, so they brought in some bull elephants. Yes, dads showed up. Some dads decided to take matters into their own hands, noted the article. They formed Dads on Duty, quote-unquote, a group of about 40 dads who take shifts spending time at school, greeting students in the morning, helping maintain a positive environment for learning rather than fighting. The students say it's working, and the number's proven. There hasn't been a single incident on campus since the dads showed up. You see, these scientists assumed, with their belief in God, they assumed that God has underlying order, established an underlying order in society. And we see examples of it everywhere in our world. You know, the Bible speaks of order for the home, for the church, for government. And the chaos we see in our world is the fruit of trying to do away with this order. Which is established by, an, by authority. It's really a setting of boundaries. You know, some, some anarchists, I, I watched a little video some, uh, a year or so ago about these, you know, some of these anarchists that are, that are you know, members of different anarchic groups in our country. And, and it showed one of them being arrested, and he was saying to the police officer, you can't arrest me because I'm not under the law of the United States because I'm a world citizen. So some of this anarchists to say, you know, we don't have to obey the U.S. law because we are citizens of the world and we have no authority over us. What are they trying to get away from? Order. They don't want to submit to order that God has established. You know, modern art is a rejection of God's order. That's what it is. It has no order. You know, real masterpieces of art have order. I mean, look at the artwork on those windows. It has order. You know, we have lights at intersections to keep order. Could you imagine what it would be like at an intersection if there were no lights? Now, some of them, there's not enough cars to be a problem, but they have stop signs, you know, maybe one way and not another way or something like that. But, you know, you know, oftentimes when there's, you know, as, as we've lived here in the last 16 years, there, there are intersections where when we got here only had maybe a stop sign in one direction, now have lights, because it was getting out of order because the stop sign wasn't sufficient to keep order. Because you might spend a long period of time waiting to get through because the traffic was too much going one direction. You know, there's lines on the road. 
to keep order. Law is necessary for an orderly society. And law enforcement are for the purpose to keep order. God, and you see these scientists came up with the assumption because they believed in God that there's an underlying order that we see in society. That was an assumption. And they saw evidence of that. Which led them to the fact that God ordered everything in this universe to conclude. The third thing that they saw, these scientists assumed that there's a contingency in nature. In other words, a form of divine communication. And science, they saw science as the means to, cer- to decipher that communication. In other words, this world was not by chance or accident. It was on purpose. It was here, here on purpose. There's circumstantial evidence to that. Again, we, we quoted from Romans 1 and verse 20, where it says, For the invisible things from him, from, of him from the creation world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So we can look at the world and see an authority, an authority structure that is established and understand that God is authority, is the authority. He made everything. Your science is the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. You see, true science is based on observable facts, not some computer model with predictions. That's fed with predictions of what one may think will happen. You know, climate change is based on a computer model. It's all it's based on. You know, the, the last so many years, the world's been warming but, warming, but they don't take into the fact that some years ago, it cooled. They just say if it continues to warm by 2030 or 2050, you know, uh, the glaciers are going to, or the, uh, the, the um, yeah, the glaciers are going to disappear. You know, I kind of like what one uh, missionary from the Arctic said, you know, when, when the uh, temperature has only warmed a half degree in the last 30 years and it's 50 degrees below zero, that means nothing to me. But see, the computer model says if this continues, this warming trend continues, you know, them glaciers are going to disappear. But they don't take into the fact that, you know, back when I was in school, when I was your age, Daniel, they were talking about it was getting cooler, and the icebergs could come all the way to New York. I remember talking specifically to this one guy in Maine, and he was talking about that very thing. You know, it's possible that those icebergs could come down as far as New York, and we'd have to move. I'm like, yeah, right, you know, whatever. Um, those are computer models. They're not based on observation. It's just somebody's prediction. And this is folly science. And you, you see, you, know, you will see many times bureaucrats today making predictions, predictions of the pandemic, quote unquote, and, and they often just throw out these predictions without giving any real data to verify or substantiate their predictions because the real data does not fit their agenda. 
Let me give you an illustration. This is in the Epic Times. The article is titled NIH, or National Institute of Health. Check out Wikipedia to see why the Great Barrington Declaration is dangerous. That's the title. Written by Zachary Steber, December 24th of this year. And he says, quote, the National Institute of Health and its top officials are doubling down on criticism of the Great Barrington Declaration after emails showed they quickly moved last year to oppose it. Declaration plan last year said lockdowns were producing negative, short, and long-term effects on public health, such as lower childhood vaccination rates, fewer cancer screenings, worsening mental health. The experts who signed on called for focusing COVID-19 prevention efforts on the most vulnerable, particularly the elderly, while loosening restrictions on the young and healthy who are at little risk of developing COVID-19. Anyway, uh, this article goes on, and it says, now, uh, new emails obtained and published by the American Journal for Economic Research and a congressional panel show Dr. Francis Collins, who stepped down as head of the NIH, directed a top subordinate, Dr. Anthony Fauci, to publish a quick and devastating uh, and devastating uh, takedown of the Declaration's premises. Fauci ended up going on television to criticize the Declaration while Collins spoke publicly about his opposition to the Washington Post. Fauci also sent links of two op-eds, in other words, opinion or editorials, he said debunked, quote-unquote, and served as a refutation, quote-unquote, of the approach promoted by the Declaration, the 2020 email show. Some experts have said the messages from top health officials amount to unnecessary censorship. At the time, Colin called for a takedown. No COVID-19 vaccines were available, and harsh restrictions led to soaring unemployment, school closures, and businesses being forced to shut down. Quote, when it comes to lockdowns or school closures, the answer to the question of whether the benefits exceed the harms, and if so, under what conditions, is far from certain, and scientists will study this for decades. As a good scientist, Collins should have recognized the massive uncertainty around these policies. Dr. Vinay Prasad, an associate professor of epidemiology at the University of California, wrote in an op-ed, quote, in public, this is the Wall Street Journal, quote, in public, Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins urge Americans to follow the science, quote, unquote, in private, the two sainted public health officials scheme to squash dissenting views from top scientists, said the Wall Street Journal editorial board. The NIH and Collins are standing by the opposition to the Great Barrington Declaration on Fox News Sunday this month. Collins claimed against the trio of scientists did not have the credentials, said that they did not have the credentials to be making such a grand sweeping statement and said if the strategy outlined in the Declaration were followed, hundreds of thousands of people would have died. Collins, who was speaking as the director of NIH, did not cite any studies or research to back up his position. Studies are mixed as to the benefit of lockdowns. Now, he said hundreds of thousands of people would have died if they followed the Great Barrington Declaration, which they did not follow. So how many people died? 800,000. Do you see something wrong here? They've died of COVID, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And so the question is, which way would have caused least harm? 
uh, lockdowns like Collins and Foxley presumably think that the focus protection of vulnerable is impossible. And they could have engaged honestly in a discussion about it, but would have found that public health is fundamentally about focus protection. And it, this article goes on. It says, An NIH spokeswoman told the Epic Times in an email that Collins has spoken out against the Declaration 6 October of 2020, saying it was dangerous and unsupported by scientific evidence. The WHO, and many others have said the same, that's the World Health Organization, much of this is captured on Wikipedia with citations. I encourage you to check out this page with citations. She added. And Philip Magnus, who is the uh, American Institute for Economic Research, said this, quote, that's a testament to the lack of science and the abundance of politics at NIH right now. They are using Wikipedia articles and New York Times, and Vox, and Wired Magazine, OPEDs, in other words, opinions and editorials, to determine what are supposed to be scientific matters and shunning actual scientists who work on this. Unquote. So these guys who say they're scientists shun scientists and instead follow opinions and editorials in magazines. And they call it science. Magnus, speaking to the Equity Times, pointed how Fauci, when messaging college, cited editorials rather than studies in scientific journals, and how shortly after, Fauci received an email containing more op-eds from a deputy who indicated in his subject line that he'd spoken with Fauci about the articles before sending them over. Yeah, you, all you have to do, you, you can go to the North Carolina health website, and you're going to get the same thing. They're going, to, they're, going to, they're going to say things, but have no data to back it up. It's propaganda. This is faulty science. This is not based on observation. You know, the Bible is not a science book. But there is scientific evidence that proves that what we believe in is true. I mean, the things we see in the world. You know, for, for years, the scientific community claimed that the Grand Canyon was formed by billions of years of a river flowing through the canyon. But somehow they can't explain why the fossils at the top are the same age as the fossils at the bottom. But when Mount St. Helens erupted, there was a mini Grand Canyon formed in several weeks. I mean, it looks just like the Grand Canyon. Well, we know. The Bible gives some evidence to the fact that things like the Grand Canyon were formed in Genesis chapter 7 and chapter 8. The great fountains of the deep were broken up. The worldwide flood. See, things that are not seen are revealed to us by the things that we do see. That it, it gives evidence to. It gives evidence to. You know, our faith is not based on some faulty science, but by the word of God supported by evidence that is seen and experienced in the life of a believer. I mentioned that, you know, Jesus said, except a corn of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abideth alone. That's a picture of the resurrection. And as a 
farming society, agricultural society, every Jew would have understood that. You know, God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're still living, is what he was saying there. See, through faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. There had to be a designer. Things just don't design themselves. And the elders, those in the Old Testament who wrote these things down, they understood that. They understood that. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.18, While we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we can understand by looking at things that we see that there is a God who is eternal, who is the authority, who designed all this, who gave it order, and has communicated to us through nature and through His Word of His person. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 says, Wherein you great rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. The trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not see, ye love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory, receiving the end of your, salva- your faith, even the salvation of the sword. So, so by, by faith, though we don't see him, yet receiving him, we have the expectation of the end of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls, the very deliverance from the presence of this evil world. Peter said, I'm convinced of that. I have assurance of that. Because of what I have seen. You know, Peter said, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. You know, in a court of law, what you need to win a case is witnesses. And again, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is attested to by many infallible proofs. More than 500 at one time. When Paul was writing that, he said, yet many, many of which are alive to this very day. Again, there's more evidence to that. You know, people don't doubt that Socrates lived or Plato lived. So why do people doubt that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You see, faith has substance. It has a basis. It has a foundation. And that foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is much evidence. And we can have confidence and assurance in that evidence. You know, this is his person, his personal message to us of his person, of his power.
And we can have confidence in it. We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well to take heed. Every word of God is pure. And we can have confidence and assurance in it. Because he is the substance, he is the foundation of our faith. You know, are you established in the foundation? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You know, he is the basis of genuine faith. Living faith. Faith that, as we're going to see, works. It's living. It has power. And we have confidence in it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen.